You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the Checklist Manifesto. For those of you who are new here, welcome. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for stopping by my library. I'm Steph Clark, your Chief Bookworm, and today we're going to be talking about the Checklist Manifesto. Now, I've got an interesting story about where I read this book given the subject matter, which I will tell you about as we go through. But first of all, I want to share a little bit about the author, Atul Gawande. Atul Gawande, MD, MPH, is a surgeon, writer, and public health leader. He is CEO of the non-profit-seeking healthcare venture formed by Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan Chase to deliver better outcomes, satisfaction, and cost efficiency in care. He practices general and endocrine surgery at Brigham and Women's Hospital, He is a professor of the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Samuel Tia Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School. He is the founding executive director and chairman of Ariadne Labs, a joint center for health systems innovation and chairman of Lifebox, a nonprofit organization making surgery safer globally. We'll be hearing more about that in the book as we go through. Atul has also been a staff writer for the New Yorker magazine since 1998 and has written four New York Times bestsellers, Complications, Better, The Checklist Manifesto, which of course is the book we're talking about today, and Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. He is the winner of two National Magazine Awards, Academy Health Impact Award for Highest Research Impact on Healthcare, a MacArthur Fellowship, and the Lewis Thomas Award for Writing About Science. And all of that information was taken from his website, which I recommend having a look at because it's got lots more information about the work he does. And particularly for those of you who are interested in a different approach to health. So a bit about the book. The Checklist Manifesto is a book about how the most complex and complicated scenarios can be better managed with the structured approach of the simple but powerful checklist. It includes examples from operating rooms, flight decks, hurricane recoveries, kitchens and construction sites. As life and work gets more challenging and specialised, this book documents the practical journey that Atto and his team went on to develop a safe surgery checklist to produce to reduce potentially fatal errors in operating theatres, which was adopted in hospitals around the world with some quite amazing results. Ultimately, the message is one of humility. No matter how experienced or how clever you are, there is always a need for a process and a checklist to aid, to aid your own judgment. So in line with the rest of the podcast, I want to share the three big ideas that I took from reading this book. And firstly, I wanted to say that I really enjoyed this book. Now, the funny story about where I ended up reading it, given the subject matter, was I ended up reading it in hospital. This is what I was reading when I suddenly went into hospital to have my appendix removed. And what was quite, I suppose, weird, but also quite entertaining was the fact that I could hear the surgeons in the pre-op part and also as I was wheeled into surgery, going through their checklist, going through the pre-surgery checklist, which is exactly one the thing that Atul and his team created, which is pretty cool. Big idea number one is that checklists save lives and money better than humans. There was a few different examples shared in the book. Number one was in surgery. As I just mentioned, I heard this for myself, so I can confirm this is true. In the book, he talks about how an ICU patient, a typical ICU patient, has 178 actions taken on them per day. That is a huge amount of complexity and complications that have have potential to happen. A checklist helped manage that, particularly in an environment like an ICU or an intensive care unit in a hospital where you might be carrying out some of those 178 tasks 
while the patient in the next bed to you is crashing and having all sorts of other things going on around them. So the environment can be incredibly stressful. So having something that is systemized and is process driven is really helpful. Another example that probably won't surprise any of you is on a flight deck. So for example, they have different checklists for different scenarios. And there was a numerous different examples given in the book, including if you've seen the film Sully, they talked about the, the real life story of the, the plane that landed on the Hudson and how they deployed the emergency checklist when the bird strike happened. There was also examples of decision-making around investments as well and business decisions and how checklists help people make more balanced decisions and without letting some of those emotions get in the way that, that can cloud our judgment. Kitchens was another great example. So from McDonald's through to Rialto, uh, an incredible Boston restaurant that the, the author spoke about. All of them have the recipes, the process, everything is checklist driven, everything is system driven, everything is consistent because consistency is key in all of these different scenarios. And really what it comes down to is that in this age of complexity, the end of the master builder, where we've got super specialities happening in all of our different fields, the checklist helps us keep things in check. So that was, that was big idea number one, that checklists save lives and money better than humans. Big idea number two was how to checklist. So throughout the book, the author talks about how he and his team worked together to create this safe surgery checklist. There are a few good points that he shared and lessons that they learned through doing this process. Number one was to test, test, test. You need to test that checklist with different teams, different cultures, you need to focus on what's important, keep it to the essentials and make sure the language is clear. There was a number of examples where they, in the first drafts of their checklist they created, where some confusion arose because the language was either too complicated and, and too wordy, or there wasn't actually enough language. It was too concise. They weren't sure what tasks they were checking. There was two types of checklists that the author talks about, which is the read-do checklist or the do and confirm checklist. Read-do was kind of both of them don't do what they say on the tin, is you read it and then you do the thing, which was seen a lot of the time on the flight deck. The other type was a do confirm, which was you do something and then you confirm usually to a colleague or a co-pilot, for, for example, that you have done that task. What they found was from both types of checklists, but a well-defined and a well-designed checklist, that when used well, the team will talk in short, sharp words and almost burst, whether they are confirming that they've done something or, in, or inciting the next part of the checklist. This communication was, it was fascinating to read about how the communication of the individuals in a team or in a, in a scenario will change according to the checklist. Another important point of how to design a checklist is that everyone knows their role. And everyone knows their role, not just in executing the task, but also in revising the checklist and going back and changing things that don't work. The final point around designing an effective checklist was knowing the pause point. So for example, in the surgery checklist, one of the pause points where you actually get, then go through some of the steps is pre-incision. So before you slice into your patient and potentially take off the wrong leg, having that pause point that before that knife hits the flesh, stop, we need to go through the checklist. And that was really important in the design to make sure that there are those clear points and clear stages in a process, in a task, to stop and to check. So that was point number two, or big idea number two, was how to checklist, how to design an effective checklist. Big idea number three was don't get the leader to run the checklist. 
which I found really fascinating as someone who works a lot with teams and team leaders and also in, in leadership development, because there's often a lot of ego in the way. And Atul's team found this when they were developing the checklist and getting asking hospitals to try it. A lot of very experienced surgeons were offended at the idea of using a checklist. Well, no, I've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years. I don't need some dumb checklist. So a lot of ego gets in the way. So in a hospital situation or an operating theatre situation, they actually ask the surgical nurse to be the one who goes through the checklist and runs that. That is their role. Similarly, on an aeroplane, the co-pilot would a lot of the time would run the checklist and they would be very clear, coming back to in big idea number two, about knowing the roles. Know whose role it is to run the checklist and don't let that be the leader. Whilst you don't get the leader to run the checklist, you do need that still that specialism, that human element and the judgment and experience that comes with time. This allows the judgment and the experience to be used in a better, more structured way. It helps reduce the errors. And there was some fantastic stats at the end of the book around hospitals who had used the safe surgery checklist and even the author's own experience in operating theater in operating theaters where he has used the checklist and avoided some pretty life-threatening and, and life-changing errors that would have occurred had he not. So I wanted to share some things I really liked about the book. And, and one of those things was the definition that he, the author uses around complex versus complicated. The metaphor he uses is that complicated is like building a rocket. So it's incredibly hard and there's so many different parts involved. But once you've built one rocket and it's launched and it's gone off to space, you can repeat those steps and do it again. And you would create another working rocket. Complex, on the other hand, was like raising a child. You could raise one child, follow your various steps, write them down, have another child, do the same thing and not get the same outcome because there is a lot more complexity involved and there's a, obviously a human element which adds a level of complexity. So I really like that example and I, I will definitely be using that when working with teams. The other thing I liked about the book was that it was very practical. It considered the human element, which is sometimes what we're trying to avoid. And a lot of the time in the book, that is exactly what they're trying to avoid by creating a checklist is to remove some of those human elements, which is strange because a lot of the other books I've read recently, and you'll hear more about particularly the Brené Brown books and Susan Scott around different types of leadership is you're actually trying to insert more human elements into things. But with the systems and the processes and these complex and complicated tasks, it was about removing the human error to then increase the, the consistency and the safety. It was also very practical in the sense that they talked to, the author talks through the steps that they followed to create the checklist. All the errors they found, all the things that worked, all the things that didn't work. So again, if this is something that you would like to use in your team or in your organisation, you could follow along. I'd really recommend reading this book to teams who regularly face complex situations. One of the ways that I've used this concepts since reading the book was when working with a team who semi-regularly undergo acquisitions. So they bring new organizations into their organization. One of the challenges they'd face is that each time they bring people in, it's not a consistent experience. And they were facing a lot of issues as a result of those acquisitions. So what I suggested to them was creating a checklist. What do we need to do before the acquisition and, and what timescales, what do we need to do you know, one week, three months? six months, et cetera, before the acquisition. What do we or the team need to do at the point of the acquisition, the kind of day zero, day one? And then what happens afterwards? And again, you know, week one, week two, week three, et cetera, of the new people joining. 
they found that concept really useful. And as part of the workshop that we did, they created some of those checklists. They identified the things that didn't work as a result of previous acquisitions and how they would then overcome them. The other important point was making sure that they understood whose role was what and who would need to implement and instigate each of those different tasks on the checklist. As a leadership team, they also made the commitment to revise the checklist when they have their next acquisition to come back together as a leadership team to also involve those who have been through the acquisition to get any feedback and improve the checklist for the next iteration. So that was the checklist manifesto. To refresh, once again, big idea number one was that checklists save lives and money better than humans. Big idea number two was how to checklist and the test, test, test. And big idea number three was not getting the leader to run the checklist will only lead to trouble. If you would like to read the book yourself and develop your own checklists, I really recommend it. And head on over to stephsbusinessbookshelf.com where you can find the Amazon affiliate links to buy the book either for your Kindle or hard copy. Thanks for listening and I will speak to you next time.